Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 46 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm Andrew Coates. Uh, I appreciate you tuning in yet again to listen to me host the people that I consider to be industry leaders and the elite. And every once in a while, I pluck someone who's been on my radar for a long time, more recently got a chance to interact more formally. And we've been trying to schedule this. It finally worked. So I hope you guys welcome Josh Hillis to the show. Welcome. How's it going? I- I'm stoked to be here. Right. And so, you know, I think some of the established community will certainly know you by reputation and credibility in the industry. But for those who aren't yet familiar with you, well, I made a short list of some of the stuff about you. So you started as a personal trainer 17 years ago. Yeah. Started fitness writing 14 years ago. Yeah. Oh, man, you really did do your homework. (laughs) Um, And that turned into some book writing. So you wrote uh, Fat Loss Happens on Monday with Dan John. Yeah. Right. That's one of your books. And then you have a recent book. I think it was last year, Lean and Strong, Eating Skills, Psychology and Workouts. Yeah. And yeah. I know you've got another one in the works. So you're a published author. Yeah. Yes, I am. So have I left anything really important out that you know that you value? Um, no, I mean, I mean, that's, that's, that's a big thing. I've uh, been a trainer forever. I've kind of, um, ended up now, like I, with my first book, I kind of got more into like habit-based eating and now I'm doing eating skills and, uh, yeah, it's kind of a jam. We're going to talk more about that. So I mentioned, you know, your reputation, as I said, you have some really serious credibility in what I consider to be the respected evidence-based coaching world. I doubt your average, um, you know, Mr. Olympia competitor knows who you are. <laughs> I don't think we really care about that sort of thing. Uh, and one of the recent examples is I know Sohi Lee, who's a friend of both of ours. She yeah. had you speak to her coaches. I know she shared that on. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a few months ago. Right. So yeah. Stuff like that. And as I mentioned off air, you first hit my radar on Kevin Larrabee's Fitcast, which is sort of one of the, the big, foundational fitness uh, podcasts out there in the ether. And it's yeah. sort of a heavy influence on how I've gone about running this podcast for the last four years. Right? Totally. And there'd be a lot of overlap in a lot of the guests. So if anybody listening is an old fan of that, they might go back and go, oh, yeah, Josh from there. So the we recently connected over Instagram yeah. and this is where I want to have some fun. So how have you found the experience of translating all that work, all that established reputation and career into building certainly Instagram because I know you have following in other realms but I know Instagram a place you only very recently turned around and tried to pay attention to and grow yeah I have the bias of having you know the strongest presence on Instagram liking it the most but I also find that in terms of the balance of credibility and a hub for all your work and shareability I think that Instagram is probably one of the best social media platforms for fitness professionals. So how's it yeah. been translating all that body of work into growing on this platform and <laughs> catch up? It's, um, it's, it's, that's an interesting question. Um, it's, it's kind of fun. Um, because like I built my whole following blogging, you know, and so I was really used to that format and, um, I was like that, that length, Right. And I'm used to thinking in terms of that length and I'm thinking uh, and, and it really, Instagram is really a new way of thinking for me. And so it's, it's one of those things where like, you know, like, like coaching, I, I have, I have an hour with someone writing a book. I've got 350 pages, writing a blog. I've got 1200 words. Right. And, um, and so to break it down into these little bite-sized chunks, um, I think it's actually making me a better coach because, um, I've gotten kind of, uh, I mean, like, I, I, I like, I like to build the, I like to build systems, right? Like, like my book is this like, like really in-depth system. And so I, um, I had like, I had to think like, what's something that I can deliver in like a, like a screenshotted tweet length. And it's been, it's been so much fun to get that. Uh, it, it's making me sharper. I absolutely would agree with that. I think there's there's two things I want to grab. I'll start with this. Having to write under the Twitter format, which, you know, sometimes people malign it because it's popular and they're like, oh, I don't want to do the thing everyone else is doing. Well, let me let you in on something. They fucking work. Nothing should be <laughs> yeah. Twitter posts. You've discovered this. Yeah. But when you're constrained by the character limit of Twitter, you have to choose every word, every character carefully. And then you're forced to use the strongest language possible. And I've had... Yeah 
very much a year and a half of daily practice working on this. And I promise you, it makes you a significantly better writer. Yeah. Yeah. And the second thing, and this is something that I'm certainly parroting a Jordan Syatt concept, but it's something I believe in myself. If you're looking yeah. at social media, it's going to be a lot easier when people find you and find out that you have some serious, I keep using the term career capital, and I want people to grab yeah. on that concept. Not only are you a fitness writer of articles for a very long time, which again, Jordan still believes is probably the best piece of backbone you can build a career out and around, but yeah. you've also published books, which is a really big piece of career capital. So, you know, I think when people are looking at building their social media, if you're starting with social media and all you have is social media, people may find, oh, that's a really good quote, go in there to your, your profile. And then they start looking around and go, well, what else do they have? Um, yeah. No podcast. There's no YouTube. There's no written articles. Sometimes there's no bloody website. You know, they certainly don't own a physical gym facility. They haven't published a book. And all of a sudden it's like, well, okay, this person's good for sound bites. But it doesn't really prove to the, you know, the other coaches that are out there who are looking for, you know, thought leaders in the industry to say, well, this, it doesn't validate the choice of hitting the follow button. And people are looking yeah. for, they're, they're buying something from you. They're spending their time to include you on their stream, their, their feed, right? So that is taking yeah. something away from them. So when you, we're not entitled to someone following us, we have to create an incentive right. for someone to want to say, you're going to be someone I want to plug into and you could potentially take the place in my feed of a family member with updates about newborn kids and shit like that. You better fucking earn it. And it better be awesome. Yeah, be fucking rad. So what's that process been like for you diving into Instagram and what have you found fun? What have you found challenging? Um, I think, uh, so, so, so again, like the most challenging part is, has been just like thinking in terms of that, like shorter, shorter thing. But I think what you were talking about is, is sort of like a, like a content ladder where, um, and, and I already have that. And so I'm kind of starting ahead. If someone wants to look at me and they find the soundbite and they dig it, then they can find podcasts, they can find long and short blog posts, they can find books. And, I, and, and what you said is like, that is really important, right? Like, like we're, um, you know, there's, there's like frequency and intensity, right? And on Instagram, I'm really playing, playing the game of frequency. Can I deliver something small and useful like all the time? But sometimes someone wants to know, like, how do I get more? Like, how do I get more of that? And then, um, and I'm, I'm actually trying to do that a little bit in, in Instagram also. I've, I've got a couple longer videos, like like five, six, seven minute videos. Um, but, um, but I'm enjoying the whole thing. So I love metrics. I really, really, really like metrics. And I love the not knowing. Um, like I love that I have no idea what's gonna connect with people. There are things that I think are so important that like no one gives a crap about. And then there are things that are like offhand, like 10 second tweets that like connect with, you know, like I got 300 follows. And I'm like, how, how does that work? I'll give our listeners a little insight into some patterns I've discovered playing with it. If someone's gonna share something, it's gonna be something that they're thinking, shit, I wish I wrote that. And it's going to be stuff. Oh yeah, I know that. That's totally awesome. And often that's a slightly simpler concept. We get really abstract. Yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine today who's doing this stuff, but he's doing it more for the, the finance world, which is a harder thing okay. to share. And I saw his post today, which got no traction because it was a really abstract concept that I had to kind of go through and go, uh, uh, what? And I'm thinking, no, no, no. Especially if you're going to feed people fitness, uh, sorry, finance stuff, let alone fitness stuff you've got to feed, you know, very, very straightforward concepts that they're going to go, yeah. And then they yeah. want to hit that share button, not yeah. the abstract stuff. You want to get abstract. The abstract stuff goes into the longer form articles or even, yeah. the, right? So if you play with it, as you were learning, as I certainly have played around with a lot, and as anybody else playing with it will learn, if you practice over time, you'll see that a certain type of message, simple and resonant, that relates to their experience or what they value tends to be the stuff people share the most. And if people are sharing it, it does really well on the algorithm. More people see it, saves all that. You know, people just hitting likes isn't really enough. It's gotta be something that people go, hell yes, I need to share those with every single friend of mine. 
because if they're sharing it in their story, they're also stamping their reputation and approval on whatever you've posted. And the message has to be good. And they also have to, for the most part, you know, like you and know you. Sometimes it goes out into virality and all of a sudden people just keep sharing it and sharing it and they have no fucking clue who you are, but they like it and then it just goes nuts. That happens. Right? Yeah. But your followers, you know, in order to follow you, they're going to have to like who you are too. Yeah. And you have that built in because what I think is happening with you now, and I, I kind of was doing the same thing with Brian Cron because I've been pushing your stuff recently. Yeah. And I've been pushing the hell out of Brian. I appreciate it, dude. I oh, so totally appreciate it. Well, it's abundance mindset, right? Like that's not taking anything away from me, right? I saw yeah. your video where you hit 5,000. You were like, just giddy happy. I was super <laughs> cool. That was awesome. Yeah. So I did the same shit with Brian Cron because guess yeah. what? Who fucking knows who Brian Cron is. And when Brian is not posting about like, political shit or just like getting twisted up about you know the stuff of the pandemic this year i won't touch that stuff because people come to my account for like fitness and nutrition they just don't want to deal with that stuff it's a brand yeah. because there's so much of it yeah. but brian's also a brilliant coach and knows probably more about you know just the ins and outs of like practical wisdom that helps people than i've ever fucking like he's forgotten more than yeah. i've ever learned right he's, he's great at it so yeah. all of a sudden someone sees brian they're like oh hell yeah brian cron he's Written for T Nation forever. Oh, cool. Follow. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Josh Hillis. Totally know who that guy is. Boom. It makes it very easy to hit that follow button. And it goes back to the whole thing. If someone's new on the block or trying to build out a, a reputation, there is a lot of value to establish this. And I like what you said, this content ladder and what I always call this career capital to back up yeah. the credibility of your social media account. So I think it should be in the grand scheme of this, a two-pronged approach really study and learn the social media stuff. If you value it, you don't have to, and also build the other stuff. And yeah. again, this also goes to show that a Instagram is not the only place where people have followings you and many other people. I think of like a Dr. Mike T Nelson, Mike T Nelson's yeah. email list is probably 10 times, if not more his Instagram following. Yeah. 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 So you get stuff like that, but I think there's also a lot of value in being where people are and you guys are all on a mission to change more lives, earn a livelihood. We all are, yeah. we all deserve to earn a comfortable livelihood, coaching people and helping people. This whole yeah. poor trainer and, oh, I just want to help people. And this discomfort with actually getting paid, you know, your worth. I, I'm that's, long over that. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. And I do, I say that because I want coaches to kind of go, no, like you're undercharging. Fuck it. I mean, I still undercharge for my hourly worth, but I yeah. am living doing this stuff. But again, you can charge more. Anyway, so I'm off track. So I also wanted to really just like open the floor to you on some of the stuff we've been talking about. And you post a lot about this. And it's kind of this list. So I'll, I'll dive in here. It's like things like emotional eating, stress eating. And there was a, actually there's a post that I, it's your post I shared on my wall. And I'll yeah. read the quote. Uh, I've got to find it. I know I have the quote here. Uh, if a nutrition program doesn't include skills for managing stress, eating, and emotional, and emotional eating, it's an inadequate program. That pissed some people off. I had some people, wait, I don't know if you saw this stuff, but some people got really twisted about this. Really? Okay. So I was trying to respond to all the, like, all the comments on there. And then I felt like it started like, like I felt like it locked me out after like 20 I was so, I wasn't sure if it, <laughs> it, it was it giving you a little red you can't reply. It well, like my comments started disappearing after yeah. I posted them. It's and... something that Instagram does. It looks like you're spamming a page, and I noticed the same thing. Okay, Nisha, they they meme my quotes all the time, and they share it on their wall. So yeah, I'll go in and I'll say thank you to all the the responses, and all of a sudden they just won't go up anymore. It'll give me this little red you can't reply. So I'm yeah. quite literally locked out of commenting on teenage posts now. <laughs> And it's just this, God damn it. But it's the algorithm. That, yeah. Yeah. So sorry that happened. But yeah, so I, there was at least a couple of people who are just arguing and going nuts about it. It's like, okay, like, first of all, if this doesn't apply to you or someone doesn't need these skills, okay, come on. Like we know. Fine. But two, yeah. I mean, it, it, are you triggered by this to the point where maybe you're not doing this very well and it bothers you. So it's offended you a little bit. And now you have to start fighting about it. Yeah, I, I noticed that these people were creating these arguments that didn't exist. They were straw manning the position of your post yeah. and arguing with the straw man that didn't really exist. And I'm just like, what are you, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and, so, and there you have the internet. <laughs> you have the internet. 
So that's the other thing. If you want to build a social media following, be prepared for a little bit of this. I don't get much of it. You'd be surprised. I also don't try to post a lot of confrontational shit. Um, I've, some people I've, I've had at one point, there was an entire website uh, where they rated how bad a fitness product was and how many Josh Hillises it got. I've, I've gotten a ton of, like, I've got like the randomest attacks at different times. It was, I've heard something about this. Every once in a while, something weird happens. It's like, do you know who my friend Mike Howard is? Of he, course, yeah. Yeah, Mike, yeah, yeah. He's been on the yeah. podcast a bunch before. So everybody loves making fun of how like bad movie reviews with Mike Howard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. How Patrick Humphrey, who's a good friend from yeah, everybody knows Patrick. Amazing, yeah. Everybody is like, there's always Patrick memes. In fact, yeah. Patrick and I bear a passing resemblance, to say the least. Like, poor guy, <laughs> my before photo, because I'm like, in terms of like my stature, I'm quite a, a lot bigger than he is. So yeah. he always becomes the before photo. And this, I had a random, like a friend of mine here from here at Edmonton. She's at this small conference in. Dallas a couple of years ago and Mike T. Nelson's presenting and she's just sitting there. She's not really part of our world as much. And so up pops a slide with me in it and Patrick Humphrey. And she's just sitting there going, what the fuck is going on? What, how does this Do you have a tweet? <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, so Patrick just pops up in, in everything. So there's these little, you know, things that happen. So I, I remember something about the Josh Hillis scale. I don't remember yeah. the context. It was a long, long time ago. <laughs> I'll maybe we'll have to revive that a little bit, but let's, I'll circle back around to sort of my original question. I tend to do this. Yeah. I apologize. The listeners, anybody who's been around for a while knows this. So yeah, let's open it up to, you know, your thoughts on, I guess, coaches certainly approaching and developing skills with their clients for things mm -hmm. like emotional eating, stress eating, uh, skill-based eating. And I know you made a comment about eating based on personal values. So yeah, the floor to you and, and we can kind of go where we go. Oh man. Um, so, uh, so s stress eating and emotional eating is kind of like my current, um, my current research interest. It's why I'm digging in a lot on contextual behavioral science and, um, what the, the, like the, the absolute like base level of working with emotional eating is, um, letting people feel their feelings and letting them know that like all their feelings are okay. Right. Because because basically like emotional eating is I have this emotion. I'm not supposed to have this emotion. I'm going to eat to numb it out. Right. Mm. Stress eating is like I've got the stress. I don't want to feel the stress. I'm going to like eat to avoid it. Right. And so um, people tend to relate to it like either if I had different emotions, I, I, I wouldn't stress eat. Right. Well, I mean, sure. Um, <laughs> but also there's like. I, I need to change my emotions. I need to change my emotions. I need to change my thoughts. I need to like think positive, I need good vibes, you know, like all this kind of thing. Um, and what's more effective for stress eating is actually um, a willingness to be with those emotions and some tools for getting perspective on those emotions, right? So um, so the, the very, very first level is going like, oh, you know what? I know everyone looks super happy on social media. I know everyone looks like they've got perfect lives. No one's ever down, um, but getting like, oh, it's actually normal and okay for me to be up sometimes and down others. And I actually don't have to eat to change that, you know? And like so many times when I first start coaching with people, something really stressful happens and they feel stressed out. And I have to say like, no, like any human would feel stressed in that situation, right? something really sad happens. Anyone would feel sad, like when something's sad, you know, like it, it's, it's okay to be a human. Um, that's the beginning. That's, that's what we would call acceptance or willingness to feel. Um, and then we want to get some sort of like perspective taking where when we're, when we're in it, we can get like, when, when we're, when we're feeling these emotions really strongly and when we're like, kind of like swept up in our thoughts, like they're, like they're true and urgent and commands, um, that's another place where people like feel like they have to eat, right? Where if we can get, if we can notice what, like if we can, if we can just label our emotions, that gives us a little bit of perspective. If instead of just feeling bad or stressed, we can say like, oh, I'm, I'm really frustrated or I'm really like, that gives us a little perspective. And the same thing, if we can notice our thoughts as thoughts, uh, almost like we're watching them on TV then we can have those thoughts and we can have those emotions and still 
make actions that are like still take actions that are in line with our values and line with our goals. We can have the both simultaneously. I guess if you have the ability to take it, put it in a box, understand it, you can take a step back a little bit and just not be reactive and just do this. I think a lot of trainers would understand this concept. Certainly a lot of people develop this broken relationship. I'll use the term broken. Maybe it's inappropriate. I don't know where if they feel a certain way, they've learned at a younger age to respond by eating a certain way. Yeah. So it's understanding that relationship and then rewriting it, getting, yeah. and, and like you've said, you kind of give yourself permission or a pause to be able to step back and go, yeah. wait a second. I'm not supposed to eat in response to this. And, and as you said, I'm understanding, you know, it's okay to feel this way. And then if they feel a little bit more in control of it, or if it's a little bit more normal, then they don't feel quite as compelled to reach for food. Yeah. Like what it, what it really comes down to is people are really effective when they um, allow the thoughts and emotions to be there and change their actions works really well works really it it works um that that works best for people that have the most issues with stress eating and for when things are like the most stressful um yeah it's like it's like oh i, I can i can have this i can have these thoughts and feelings and i can still take these actions i love that you said pause because um a pause is really you know like like earlier we we're talking about like messages being abstract right and some of the perspective taking skills we get for, we use for um, uh, being with thoughts and emotions can be a little abstract, but pausing is really concrete. Someone can say, you know what, if I, if, if it's the middle of the afternoon, I'm not gonna have a snack without pausing 10 minutes. That's really concrete. You can track it, you can time it, you can, and, and for so many people, just putting that gap gives them the opportunity to intervene and get some perspective change their actions. One of my favorite approaches to dealing with some of these things is if someone can recognize, all right, certain types of things cause certain types of stresses, or they feel a certain way, or certain kind of environments, they know they're going to be in an environment, you know, the classic thing is sort of a birthday party, or they know every weekend, okay, cool, they're in social situations or around family that are, you know, triggers to drink or eat a certain way fast forwarding, looking to that, knowing it's coming and then yeah. making a pre-planned decision, you are deciding beforehand, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm not going to do. This is my boundary on this. And I suspect it probably works kind of similar. It runs concurrent to what you're just talking about. Yeah. Okay. So I love obstacle planning. I love, 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 love obstacle planning because most of the things that, that are, are going to be hard, we actually know ahead of time. <laughs> um, and so, um, like you just said, we can say like, oh, okay, if I'm in this situation, I'm going to take this action. I like to take it um, in, concurrently with that, um, have an obstacle plan for the thoughts and feelings, right? So like, let's actually expect to have these thoughts let's expect to have these urges like expect to have these cravings like expect to you know so it it could be oh the, you know what this social situation i actually don't want to drink and i know that i'm going to have these thoughts about like feeling left out or what that means and and um and like and, and expecting that expecting at three o'clock in the afternoon to be bored and tired and want to have a muffin just because you're bored and tired right and and it's really really cool um, because then at three o'clock when that feeling shows up, it doesn't feel like, like original and unique to the situation and special. It's like, oh, you know what? This, this always happens. I can, I've, I've got the skills to actually check in with myself. I know I'm not hungry. I know I'm just bored, you know, like it, it, um, and the, the thing that's really interesting with that is that even if people don't follow the exact action plan that they set out they still make better choices because they weren't caught flat footed. You know, this is something I say to all the clients I work with. And I usually will say it in the context of kind of binge weekends. It's, it's not about black or white. Yes, no good, bad. It's about making progress on this. So reducing the frequency duration and severity of any problem behavior. 
And if you yes. add up over time, because let's say you got someone who, you know, his goal is to lose a hundred pounds and they know these behaviors are major drivers for the long-term weight gain. So, I mean, before we get into a deficit, we still have to get into a manageable behavior where they're in maintenance, right? And one of the most important things for long-term sustainable fat loss is to be able to have a good relationship with getting back to a maintenance or a plateau place. We know how people react to plateaus. They stall out, they freak out, this isn't worth it, and right back to the old behavior. So building in the ability to recognize all right, I'm going to have a phase where it's a bit more restrictive. And you probably know who Jay Ashman is. Do you know my friend Jay Ashman? I, I do, but I'm totally blanking. Like, like I told, yeah. Everybody knows Jay. Jay. Jay is hysterical. He's been on the podcast before. Jay, some people will know Jay has a very blunt and direct and sometimes, uh, I don't know. He, he, he just, he's very severe sometimes. He's a very good human being. So Jay actually posted something today and it was about, you know, I need to read this post. I actually want to get this right, but it ties into what we were just talking about. So let's see. He posted, most people don't need to starve to lose weight, but a little hunger is good and acceptable. Draw the line at ravenous. You, like, guess what? It goes into this sense of entitlement. You know, hey, you got to be okay with being a little hungry sometimes. You're not entitled to always feel full and the, all this sort of shit. So, um, yeah. anyway, back to what we were talking about, you know what, I'm going to throw it back to you because I just threw us off course a little bit. Well, no, that's, that's actually, um, a way. So a way that people can calibrate the size of their meals, like, like one of the things, one of the things that I, that I, um, that I teach alongside guidelines, I teach guidelines and I teach hunger and fullness cues. Right. And, um, one of the ways, like a lot of people have trouble, especially in the beginning, um, like noticing when they're full and stopping, right? Um, and so one of the ways to calibrate that is actually to flip it and, know, and, and take a look, like, do I get hungry about 30 minutes before the next meal, right? Because if you don't, it was probably too much food, right? If you're getting hungry three hours before the next meal, then um, that was probably way too little food. But that's like, since, like, since you're talking about hunger, um, like it is actually normal to get hungry before the next meal. And a lot of clients who struggle with weight loss are, are never hungry or they eat to make sure that they're never hungry. Also, and I was going to jump on something you said earlier, and I think it's possibly maybe one of the most important topics, boredom, right? Yeah. We need to, people need to learn the difference between bored hunger and actually what hunger is versus yeah. physiological hunger. Yeah. So that, okay, okay, so let's, let's jump right in, right? Um, three questions you can ask yourself. Do I feel a hollow feeling in my stomach, right? Or do I feel something else? Um, am I hungry for a balanced meal? Or is it just this like specific treat, right? Um, and if I pause, does it build or does it fade? So cravings will sometimes fade. Um, not always, but, um, but hunger will typically build and build. Um, that hollow feeling in your stomach, once people get that, they're like, oh no, like I don't feel hollow feeling in my stomach. Like maybe, maybe I feel tired or I have a headache or maybe I feel tense in my shoulders. Maybe I don't feel anything, you know, like that's, that's actually pretty clear. Um, and then the, the one that, that like, do I want a balanced meal or do I want to, do I want to treat? That one's su- like super clear. And then the last one kind of bonus one is, um, am I thirsty? Right. A lot of times people just drink a glass of water. They're like, I was actually just thirsty. <laughs> um, but once people can sort that out, that gives them a lot of power, right? All, like there's so many things. It, it kind of comes back to the, um, like the labeling the emotions and getting some distinction. Like there's a lot of just being disconnected where we're like, I don't know what I feel. I don't like, I don't know what I'm feeling in my body. I'm not really like really aware of my thoughts as thoughts. And like, and when people are stress eating, a lot of times it's just this sort of like amorphous bad. There's something I think probably relates directly to this. And we can look at it a broader view about our growing discomfort as a society for being able to sit there quietly without doing anything, being bored. I mean, do you remember when we were young, you and I are certainly of a generation before cell phones when we were young, you go to the bathroom, we didn't have a fucking cell, you know, a a smartphone in our hands. And I don't know, you're reading the goddamn back of an air freshener can, (laughs) right? Know that, but anybody who's younger kind of like, what are they talking about? Right. But I mean, I had my first 
smartphone when I was in my early 30s. I certainly had my first cell phone yeah. only turned on to make outbound calls in university when I was 21, 22. So back then, though, I remember being able to sit down and just kind of entertain yourself in your own thoughts and sort of yeah. sit peacefully. And, you know, as I've gotten older and certainly with social media, always, you know, the smartphone in your hands, it is very difficult to sit there and just pause and stop yeah. without needing something, some sort of stimulation to break up the boredom. I think there's a study you're probably more familiar with with this and me, where people actually would choose to give themselves electric shocks rather than sit there with nothing to do. Anybody, yeah. I know popped up in a few books, so this is a very real thing. Can you imagine that people would rather shock themselves than actually be bored? So I think some people's response to this comfort of boredom is to automatically go for food. Oh yeah, yeah, ab 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 absolutely. It's, it's funny because, um, I was having a conversation with a with a friend of mine that I ran cross country with in high school. And we were actually talking about like after cross country practice, like sitting there waiting to get picked up. And like, we just sat there and we like, like talked or like someone like played guitar or like, or there were times where we just literally just like sat there. And, and like, we, like, we were talking about like, we remember like the seagulls and like, there was this thing that like, and I was like, does anyone have that anymore? Does anyone ever have like just just waiting? <laughs> like, does that exist? Um, but um, but yeah, you're 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 totally right. Like, we aren't used to being bored anymore, and we're used to like constant stimulation. And a lot, lot, lot of people just eat just in in response to um to being bored. And there's and it's there's there's two. There's, there's three ways to go with all of these things, right? With emotional eating, stress eating, boredom eating. Um, do I like accept it and find a way to be with it? Do I do something about it? Or the awesome one is, do I do both, right? So, um, so like, can I use some, can I use some perspective taking to actually like notice like, oh, I'm just bored and it's actually like, okay to be bored. And actually, you know what, like my life's kind of stressful, maybe being bored for a minute is actually a good thing. That's <laughs> actually a kind of restorative. Um, or there's like, do I do something about it? Like I'm bored, like, oh, maybe I find something engaging to do, right? Like maybe I have a hobby or maybe I just watch better TV or do I, you know, something like that. Or the, um, or I go for a walk. Or the, the third way, which is, which is ideal is, can I be with this feeling whether it's boredom or stress or whatever, can I, can I actually like be with it not need to fix or change it? And then go do a thing, not to fix it, but just do a thing because it's like basic human maintenance, right? Like if I'm, if I'm at work and I'm completely fried, can I notice like, oh, you know what? It's like, it's actually okay to be fried. I've had a lot to do, right? Anyone would be fried. And I'm gonna go for a walk, not, not to like, feel different like maybe I will feel different but just because I'm a human and like basic human maintenance is that I need to have a little bit of a rest on like like I need to actually have a break in a really busy day right and I certainly struggle with that I think there are different people in our space I don't know if you pay attention to a lot of people's media but we have people who a lot of their media is very go, go, go. And you get this sense of, just, wow, they're doing everything. And my favorite example of that is a guy like Luca Hosovar. Now, I really like Luca, but Luca is an absolute machine. Now, I think a lot of people look at me in terms of what I do in my work. Like, I do full-time coaching on top of all the other various things I'm doing. And, I, you know, fried, I've been really fried the last two days. And, you know, people always like, kind of worry, oh, you know, how are you going to be able to keep up this pace? Whatever, I'm fine, I'm fine. Every once in a while, I get fried. So, you know, I was very, very blessed that you were able to pick up this podcast a little bit short notice, but then it meant, oh shit, now I have to go and prep a little bit of stuff, right? So just one more thing. Yeah. But all good. I'm getting ready for this presentation down at, um, you know, at a conference oh, yeah. in two weeks. So there's a few things I've got to get. I'm, I'm not good at the, the slide stuff. So, you know, my girlfriend's going to help me with that. And so cool. we'll work on that tonight. But what I think that'll break the stress a little bit, but I found that every little thing, if a client turns around and does something goofy, wants to change up schedule a little bit, normally I'm like, yeah, no problem. And today it's just like, oh, my sweet mother of God, right? It's, it's yeah. fuck, it's just another thing. So yeah, I, I think recognizing that 
you, you're in that state and I have to do a slightly better job of being able to take a big step back, put the phone away because it's very, very easy to plug into what's going on with social media. And as the following grows, I promise anyone, there's more attention to it. It puts more stress on you to manage it for sure. Yeah. So being able to put that aside, but there is a really good feeling anytime and I've turned the phone on silent, put it aside and like deliberately said, I'm not going to interact with that for the rest of the evening. Or, you know, I've got an evening with my girlfriend. I'm like, all right, put that away. And at, at first, I think it's hard because you feel disconnected from it. But once you get comfortable with it and recognize that there's peace with it, it becomes a very good feeling to be able to do it. Yeah. I suspect it's similar with being able to feel in control of some of the eating challenges that people face. But once you've kind of got a little bit of command of it and you feel that confidence, it feels really good to do it. Yeah. Well, like it's, it's one of those things where like, we <laughs> like, like, like on, on, yeah, it, there, there's, there's such a weird pull, right? Cause like on one hand, it feels really good to take care of ourselves. Right. It, it, it just does. I mean, like we, like we need a certain amount of like basic human maintenance, um, which is what I call it now instead of self-care. <laughs> we just need like basic yeah. human maintenance. Um, but there's also this, you know, like, like you mentioned, like having the social media following and, and having this like pull to engage with it. Like there's all these, and, and I think, I think everyone has, I think a lot of people, like the clients I get tend to be, um, very successful and have big careers and regardless of what it is there's like there's always a pull to like be the one that solves the thing be the one that fixes the thing like they've they've got skills and they want to use them right you know and 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 sometimes they also have an enormous amount of responsibility and people counting on them and things like that but it's there's this there's this combination of like oh i know if i I've, I've got this hour right now that I could actually step away. Do I do that or do I check five more things off the list? And it's hard because they're both, one's like really like socially reinforced and it might be like reinforced at work and it, um, and the other one might be just like, oh, the only reason I'm doing this is because, because um, it fits the kind of person I want to be. And because I, I, I mean, could be like, oh, you know what? I've actually tracked metrics. And I know that I'm more successful. I've actually take a break, <laughs> but um, um, but there's there's an element of like, I'm just doing this because it's because it's good for me and it's because it's the kind of person I want to be. I don't even know what to add to that. That's just good. I hope everybody listening is understanding the depth of your experience with this stuff. And one of the any anytime I bring a guest on, I'm genuinely hoping that my you know the regular listeners will go and say all right well i've got to go and explore more of this guest's resources so i want to make sure that at the very least they grab onto your instagram which has been growing very rapidly and uh and then and again i think it's totally a product of a lot of people who knew who you were or finding you going oh shit i gotta follow josh uh, which helps boost it initially but i think it's going to continue to grow if you're doing a good job of plugging in messages that resonate with people and I think you're doing a good job of speaking in a language a lot of coaches kind of intuitively get, but weren't able to put into words. And then they're like, oh yeah, this is great. I have to share this with my followers, with my clients. And that's just going to bring more people to your door. So I'm excited to see how that continues to grow. Thanks, dude. Thanks. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned eating based on personal values. And I know yeah. we, didn't go, we didn't touch on that in all yeah, the yeah, yeah. proceedings. Yeah, so like, um, if we want to get really nerdy, there's uh, there's four places to pull from for motivation, right? For, for, from a self-determination perspective. Um, and if there's anyone out there that's like, wait, there's six, there's four that we can impact. So those are the ones that I talk about. <laughs> um, so the, the first one is reward and punishment. The second one is guilt and contingent self-esteem. That's actually where most people pull from for fitness. Right? They're like, oh, I'll feel good about myself if I hit this goal, or I'll feel good about, you know, I'll feel bad if I eat this thing. Right. Then, um, then we get values that apply to one area of our lives. And then we get values that um, are actually integrated in all the areas of our lives. Right. So, what we're really talking about is extrinsic motivation, which is really all like looking good for other people, and intrinsic motivation, which is like the kind of person that I want to be. 
right? And the, the benefit of pulling from intrinsic motivation is that it's more robust, right? Like we've all had clients who um, had, had a, a weight loss goal that was really important to them. And like, then they hop on the scale and the scale didn't go down as fast as they wanted and they're totally derailed. Or they hop on the scale and it went down faster and they're totally derailed, right? Like, like they get thrown off because it's all, you know, whereas if, if we're looking at the kind of person we want to be, if we're looking at our personal values, we don't change the kind of person that we want to be when it's not going well. We, we still want to be that person. I do something similar, but I've used different language. Well, like, how, how do you say it? So I think in terms of your identity. So the example I'll yeah. give will be, I train a fair number of police applicants, something that a lot of them start showing up at my door and it became sort of a formal thing. Yeah. And I noticed there were two kinds, and this is a good analogy, I think, for life. There were the applicants who already were more fit, were already living the lifestyle that they imagined the police officer would live. And there's a second group that, and they often were the slightly older ones, the ones who had more like they have kids and other life responsibilities, but they struggle with the consistency of the behavior. But I definitely got a very strong sense that they believed that once they got into the police, then they would live the lifestyle of the police officer. So, and which one group was generally successful. One group never was because one group was already making decisions and engaging in behavior that aligned yeah. with their identity. I've written about this concept. It's either yeah. your identity or an, I love this phrase, aspirational identity. I like to get people to plug into an aspirational identity because this is how you can bypass willpower. James Fell's book, uh, The Holy Shit Moment, definitely yeah. a lot of this stuff is really, really good. Yeah. So, But the second group, obviously, they're struggling to make decisions and they're relying heavily on willpower. And if their lives are already tiring and complex and throw kids and careers in there, there's not a lot of you know, willpower left over to make those decisions. But it, even in a broader context, anybody trying to make lifestyle decisions, nutrition decisions, workout decisions, if you see yourself as you have the identity as a fit person, or you were once a fit person, that's something that you know you can get back in touch with, or you aspire to it, it becomes much, much easier to make that decision. Same is true if you want to read. How many people want to read more? My identity very much wrapped up in being a reader. I am just as comfortable, if not more fulfilled, if I pick up a book and read a little bit than if I turn on the television. That's part of who I am, right? Yeah. It's automatic for me to go work out at the end of the day. It's something I'm looking forward to. It's a part of who I am. I am someone who works out. So the challenge for the people who aren't already establishing these identities is to help them get in touch with the aspirational identity. Now, I'll throw it back to you and what you're talking about and see how much that relates to what you're talking about. It's, 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 it's really tight. There's, there's a huge overlap, right? Um, we're, we're, we're talking about very similar things in, in slightly different ways, right? And, um, and, so, and so, yeah, like, like you've got that identity and you go work out at the end of the day I bet you go and work out at the end of the day, um, you know, whether it was a good day or a bad day, whether it was tired, you know, like, like it's, it's, just, it's just what you do. Right. And when um, a lot of the clients that hire me are the people that have, have I'm, I'm like their 10th coach that they've hired. Right. Like, like nothing else has worked. Um, they've done 20 diets. They've done, I'm, I'm usually not someone's first choice. And so they're hiring me because um, like the external goal wasn't enough. Like when they had the hard day, it, ju it just wasn't enough. And so I'm not against external goals, um, but for the clients that hire me, it's, it's, it's just insufficient, right? So, um, so we do a lot of values work and, and we look at like the areas of life that matter to them. And then we would look at the kind of person that they wanna be in those areas, right? So like, they've got their career, their family and their fitness. And like, that's part of it as we go like, oh, look, there's other things in your life that matter besides just fitness. If you think you're going to put fitness first in your life, you're being ridiculous, right? We need to fit this in with these other things. And then who do you want to be about fitness? And we look at like, 
do you want to be conscientious or wise or self-compassionate or playful or adventurous or and we figure out who they want to be and then we actually practice and track like when they've got a hard decision about food if they chose wise what's the wise choice there right they they, they know what the wise choice is they can sort that out and the cool thing about wise is that it's also flex is that it's it's flexible wise isn't like some standard of like the best food that they had it's like of the choice you have right now what's the wise choice they can make that i think a good example i'm guessing you'll agree with me is you're at the birthday party and the wise choice is to have the small piece of cake because of the yeah cake. yes yes it's the socially conscientious thing to do it is something that gives you a little bit of what you would enjoy in that circumstance but it balances out, you know, having a little bit of calories of something versus binging. Plus it also, it means a good relationship with having a food that all too often people contextualize as bad and having that. So there's a lot of layers to it. So I'm glad it's a good example. That's, That's huge because then they're not off plan. They're not like off the wagon. They're not like, Oh, it's a free for all. I had, I had some cake. They're like, Oh, I made the wise choice. I'm still like, I'm, st- I've, you know what? Like not having the muffin on Tuesday was the wise choice. And like having the birthday cake right now is a wise choice. And, and I like to have clients, um, if, if, if I can, I try and have them have like, like three values. And ideally there's a sort of a variety, right? So maybe it's like conscientious, wise and connected. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's a disciplined, playful, and you know like 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 there's there's that connectedness does matter to them as much as their fitness goals do right and if if there's if there's room for that if that's part of the plan then all of a sudden they're making really good choices in a really flexible way and like people people get all hung up about flexibility but like if someone's if someone says like you know what my values are are like why like being wise connectedness and conscientious they're making really great choices a lot of the time even though they're having foods that like wouldn't be on a diet or you know and that's that's what we practice and i like what you're saying because i can immediately recognize that sort of the framework i had elaborated on yeah not as deep or as nuanced as your framework right going deeper into value systems because you know the identity of being someone who is a fit person that's can, could potentially be a little more superficial. I think it could be very useful mm. in some context, but I think that just the depth of what you're describing, and I like the concept of wise. I intuitively got it as soon as you explained it. And I hope everybody listening is kind of like, shit, this stuff makes sense. And if you have any written resources on it, I'm guessing you should probably make it. It's on your website. There's some stuff there. Oh yeah. 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 I've, I've written a lot of blogs about, um, ver- versions of this. Um, this would be great if I pulled one right out of my, I was like, you know what the one called, but I don't, yeah. Joshua's.com. There's something there's, there's, there's at least two pretty in-depth posts about values. Um, I did an Instagram video about values three weeks ago. Are there any other resources? Cause I'm big on books. Are there any other resources out there in the grand either, that you know people can go and read that would also go into this i mean there are there are definitely yeah. we, we only like skated the surface of it but there's shades of Brene brown's shame and, and guilt oh yeah you know yeah. In, in some of the stuff you've talked about and i think every fitness Love her stuff my sweet mother of god every I, i'm this big jack dude who writes for t-nation generation iron and yet i absolutely love Brene brown i i'm definitely a contradiction of terms i've got this fluffy black cat aussie over here just doing <laughs> So I, I don't think people can like pigeonhole me, but yeah, I, I honestly think that most coaches would benefit tremendously from reading Brene's stuff. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's just, well, so, so the, the thing is like, like people think of her as being about vulnerability, but she's about doing more stuff, <laughs> right? She's about taking more action mm-hmm. and, and anything that has people take more action. I'm down for. And, you know, she routinely talks about shame so yeah. you have a better understanding of your shame triggers, which is a concept that she gets into and understanding that this family member is a major shame trigger. So therefore I don't bring up discussions of my eating or weight with this person. Whereas this family member is a very safe place to have these conversations and be vulnerable. Yeah. If you intuitively get these kind of concepts and, and 
can get a client there. I, I love this. This is so simple. It's like, well, what's the difference between guilt and shame? Because people tend to use those words interchangeably. Guilt means shit. I did a bad thing. There's a separate separation between you as your identity and the deed. Shame is I am a bad person. I am incapable of doing this right. I am a screw up. I, I can't stop eating the cake. That's that's very shame. Yeah. And that's a very unhealthy place to be with all this stuff. At least if trainers understand how this stuff works, you're a lot further along understanding how your clients who struggle with emotional eating and stress yeah. even work. So I think it's a good resource. Are there any other resources that you've pulled from? That's certainly mainstream outside of like, obviously, you know, complex textbooks. Yeah, textbooks. Um, so, uh, so besides my book, obviously there's, uh, I really like to recommend The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. Outstanding book. It is super, super, super good. It's probably the most accessible book on acceptance and commitment therapy, um, which is, uh, I guess, technically what I do is acceptance and commitment coaching. Um, and, uh, and so his stuff fits really well with everything that we've talked about. It's all about like how to be with emotions, how to be with thoughts. It's also about how to like distinguish like what are my values and how do I take actions in line with my values even when it's hard. So excellent, excellent book. Um, uh, Emotional Agility by Susan David, also an act book, really good. Um, can you notice, you notice the theme? <laughs> I'm like, act books. Um, those would be uh, like The Happiness Trap, I actually recommend to everyone. I recommend to every client. I recommend to the trainers I mentor. I recommend um, just without exception. I, I think it's... Um, absolutely necessary skills should be taught in high school. I've been looking for some stuff because I've been binging on uh, TED Talk and presentation books because I'm yeah. making sure I prepare really well for this coming up. But this stuff's going to go into the queue because I'm looking for some new stuff. Now, cool. I have, speaking of mentoring other coaches, I have a mentorship call uh, where um, oh I'm yeah, I have that as well within the next few minutes. So this has been a real pleasure. I'm grateful to have this you. cool. So let's remind people, we've talked about your Instagram. So how do people find you? Uh, so there's my Instagram, there's my blog, joshillis.com. And then uh, I run the eating skills program at GMB Fitness. And uh, so I've got blog posts at, at gmb.io. Awesome. So there's resources there to dig around in. We've talked a lot yeah. about it. So if you listening are finding this, uh, my podcast, me for the first time, then, well, we, I, I'd say if you want to dig in a little bit more, I would scroll through the list of people that I've had as guests. The last 46 episodes are the rebrand. There's 150 before that. I've had Dr. John Berardi and everybody in between the industry on, the, on this podcast. But in the last 46, number one has Sohi Lee, who's, you know, a, has a lot of overlap with the stuff you're doing. Maybe check out the episode with Sohi, maybe people like Jill Coleman, and you can look through this library of really great people. And maybe if you like it, you'll stick around and check out more. For my regular listeners, thanks again for always tuning in. I really do hope you guys will dive into more of Josh's stuff. Check out his media. Um, I think you, especially the coaches, can realize, wait a second, there's a lot of really good stuff here that will help you with your clients' relationships. And, um, you know, if, you, if you're not driving, guys, five-star review would mean the world to me. If you're not yet following me on, on Instagram, Andrew Coates Fitness. So thanks again, Josh. It's a real pleasure. And, thanks, dude. This is fun. Uh, everybody else, stay tuned for next week.